0: This is the Fire Dog Podcast. The views and opinions presented on today's episode are those of the speaker
1: and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or the United States Air Force. Welcome. My name is Matt Wilson. Thank you for listening to episode 28 of the Fire Dog Podcast. Before we get started, please take a minute to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and also leave us a five-star review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. We're trying to reach as many DOD firefighters as possible, and one of the best ways to do that is with your reviews and feedback. If you've been listening for a while, chances are you enjoy the podcast, so please take a few seconds, drop us a rating. Our guest today entered the Air Force in 1995 as a distinguished graduate of the Reserve Officer Training Corps at Penn State University. He is commanded at the squadron group and wing levels, has served on three headquarters staffs, and has served as a legislative fellow. He currently serves as the Air Force Director of Civil Engineers... Deputy Chief of Staff for Logistics, Engineering, and Force Protection at the Headquarters, United States Air Force, Pentagon, Arlington, Virginia. In that position, he's responsible for providing policy and oversight for the planning, development, construction, maintenance, utilities, and environmental quality of 183 Air Force bases worldwide. This responsibility includes housing, fire and emergency services, explosive ordnance disposal, and emergency management services. He also influences resourcing for installation support functions with an annual budget of $11 billion and is the focal point for organizing, training, and equipping a 51,000-person engineering force. Although his responsibilities are wide-ranging, he joins me today to discuss his perspective of Air Force Fire and Emergency Services and the role he plays for our career field. Please welcome Brigadier General William Kale. So again, sir, thanks for agreeing to come on the show with us today. It's not too often we get to speak with a general or the civil engineer of the Air Force you know, we're also excited to, we were also excited to hear that not only have you heard of the podcast, but you, you know, you would like to come on as a guest. So it was pretty humbling and it's an honor to have you on. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to
0: speak with all the fire
1: dogs. So can you give us just a brief overview of your time so far in the military? You know, When did you join? What are some assignments and positions you filled? Maybe what was your more favorite of those assignments?
0: Well, I, I have to admit this past year, I actually started feeling old. I, uh, I've started doing a lot of mentorship and usually the first question I'll ask folks is, um, if anyone had, was even born when nine 11 happened and, and, uh, you know, you don't get very many hands that, uh, that raise. And then the next question I usually ask was you know, anyone born, you know, uh, before 1995 when I came in the air force and very few hands, uh, go up. So I, I, Feel right off the bat, pretty old, even though I don't feel old. But it's uh, yeah, it's amazing how time uh, flies by. So you know, obviously, I came in uh, through Penn State, and it was just Penn State was a—I don't want to say it was a magical experience, but it it really kind of helped me grow up and and develop a passion for architectural engineering. You know, kind of come up with a profession. And and when I came in the Air Force, I felt it prepared me, uh, you know, quite well for, for this career. And, um, I had some great leaders at Penn state, um, one civil engineer, uh, retired Colonel Bill Macon, uh, that, you know, kind of guided me into civil engineering. And, uh, so I was, I was very fortunate, uh, to have that experience. And, and I felt like it, uh, it was a good environment to, you know, learn some basic leadership. And, and when I got to Pope, it was just a phenomenal experience uh there just getting to uh hope it converted to an a c c base and it was a uh, composite wing that consisted of f sixteens a tens and c 130s and uh you know you're right there at home at airborne at fort bragg and uh, uh special ops and and it was just a definitely a uh, uh just a great experience to see all that stuff as a as a young officer. And then, you know, kind of my first real experience dealing with the fire department was there at Pope, got to spend the night, a couple of nights in the fire station and worked with firefighters. And I you remember a senior math sergeant, uh, Tommy Stevenson, um, he was the deputy fire chief um, at the time. And, you know, it really rang home with him as his son was a phenomenal basketball player. And, and it, was going, it actually ended up going up to Penn State to, to play. I don't think I had any... Uh, play in that whatsoever but just you know an interesting side note but you know he was the one that kind of piqued my interest um you know he's um just a real uh um charismatic individual in a sense of not that he was necessarily loud and and boisterous but just you know had a presence um i think it helps i think he was like you know six eight six nine something like that somewhat of an imposing structure but just a very uh calm and uh, confident professionalism and that just kind of sort of drew me in and, and it was a uh, you know pretty neat experience to you know learn about the, the firefighters and, and and what they did and so yeah that was kind of my first taste with it and, uh, and my next assignment in the Azores I got to at the time as a Math sergeant Simpson but now a Chief Simpson retired. You know, kind of took me under my wing, but sort of in a different way—not necessarily down at the fire station, but you know, taught me to play racquetball. And and I thought I was a good racquetball player, and I learned out pretty quickly. I was probably like a average or below average player, but I'll tell you, after uh, playing with him for uh, over a year, I uh, upped my game quite quite a bit. But I did get to spend time in the fire department there and 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 learn a lot a lot about it. So I definitely had some you know, positive experiences early in my career, getting to see, you know, what, what firefighters, um, uh, do and, and wear the gear and, and, and hang out with them and kind of learn their mission. And it was, you know, then from there, I kind of sort of got away from, uh, you know, not necessarily real close to firefighters on the flight line and, you know, did grad school and red horse and, um, um, worked up the MAGCOM. So, I mean, I, Heard about fire issues, but from afar, um, got to do a legislative fellowship, work on Capitol Hill, uh, you know, probably about the farthest place from uh, Air Force flight line, if, if you think about it virtually. And then uh, it wasn't until I became a squadron commander that I got, you know, to become more intimate with the fire mission. And and obviously, as yes, the uh, squadron commander is uh, the fire marshal and, you know, gets to do that role. Uh, but it definitely... Uh, I don't know i took it uh took it pretty uh to heart and and uh I learned a lot when I was at aldaffa from a deployed um uh, fire department there but uh you know I was only there for less than a year or so um uh, where I really kind of sucked my teeth in it was at it's bangeddalum and so i got to get you know obviously go to the fire marshal school at good fellow and that was just a great experience for me i couldn't i couldn't learn enough there i mean it just the school days weren't long enough and, and the exercises weren't hard enough and definitely um, really enjoyed, you know, getting my hands on all the equipment. And one of the things that's spanged all them, I know I, I was authorized to wear the badge, but I handed it to the uh, fire chief and, and said, I don't want to wear this until I've, you know, driven every truck, uh, spent a night with every shift and, and then kind of learned, uh, you know, the mission here. And, and you can give it to me when you you know think I've, quote unquote, really earned it. And so it was kind of a neat experience. I mean, I got to, um, you know, work with every, uh, um, shift and, and, and spend time in the firehouse. I, I really liked the Spang firehouses. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. The main one, uh, you know, on the flight line with a three story pole that, uh, uh, you know, you get to ride down into the, uh, the fire station, which at first, first time doing it pretty scary, uh but once you know what you're doing it's it's not too bad and then uh, uh the uh the other fire station brand new station hardly used on the other side of the flight line but just just a phenomenal facility and 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 uh actually we ended up putting in like a training room there and you know put like a you know pretty large base map where you can do kind of tabletop exercises and that was pretty neat and then uh you know while I was there I got to go down to you see a lot of the, um, firefighter, uh, challenge, uh, competitions at, at, uh, Spang We had, there's a German contingent there that was just, you know, insane about, you know, doing those, uh, competitions. And, and we had a really good team at, at Spangdalem. uh, it was usually us and Ramstein that, that were doing well. And, uh, I think Ramstein had, I couldn't remember who the firefighter was, but, you know, just, a almost superman like, uh, abilities to, to work through, uh, uh, you know, the, those, uh, uh, the obstacle course and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, it was great seeing that, the, the camaraderie and the, you know, the, uh, effort it takes to, to do those types of skills. And, uh, yeah. And I'd really noticed it. it's banged all it. It, uh, you know, chief lean was my main, uh, fire chief there, probably, uh, Somewhat of an old school chief, uh, really, uh, kind of back to the basics, uh, strong disciplinarian, but, you know, very, uh, uh, focused on trying to create a family atmosphere. And I know it was, um, uh, we had some challenges in there with respect to culture and kind of working through that. But, you know, by the time, uh, I don't know, after my first year or so in, in the squad squadron there, man, that fire fire station was, was doing pretty awesome and it, and it seemed like it was, um, pretty well-oiled machine and the airmen enjoyed working in there and they ended up winning like the USAFE, uh, um, firefighting, uh, flight of the year or, so that was pretty cool to, uh, to see them, you know, kind of build up and, and, and get through that. And, um, yeah, so that, those were kind of, you know, the things throughout my career where I really. Uh, notice the firefighters, obviously when I, uh, after squadron command get to do, you know, group and, uh, then wing and, uh, you know, it, it, uh, Andrews, uh, it was kind of neat to see, um, um, I had, uh, Colonel Wilson and Colonel Mabbitt as the civil engineers that actually were the fire marshal. And I tried to make special care that, you know, Hey, they're the ones wearing the fire badge and, and, uh you know i was just the group commander but it it, uh you know they had a you know great leadership over that that fire department and and quite a challenging mission there with air force one and um, all the dv airlift and and just a you know a surprisingly an older base with a lot of old facilities so a lot of different uh uh, firefighting challenges we had an f-16 crash there that uh you know they responded to pretty magnificently and and it uh uh, yeah, it was amazing to see the partnership between the base and and, uh, and the community uh, and, and handling that. And then going to Wing, uh, you know, I was in the UK at the 501st, and I don't even know how many fire stations I had. I think it was like five or six, something like that. So uh, I had bases all over the place. And
1: 501st Alconberry, right?
0: Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, predominantly, uh, um, yeah, I don't – and actually, I'm trying to think. I don't even – think there uh was any military fighter fires a, if I'm not civilian, mistaken. and uh yeah so that's quite a culture in of itself you now i loved i i would uh you know i would uh on like thanksgiving i'd start at six in the morning and i would drive you know to all the fire stations it, you know it usually would take all day to to hit them and and uh it was kind of funny most of them you know they're brits they don't celebrate thanksgiving but they got a kick out of yank coming around on this special holiday to you know whatever kind of joke with them but uh yeah the second year I was there a lot of them had turkey and stuff uh ready for me to you know uh eat on my special day but uh yeah it was a pretty good experience uh there and so yeah it's uh um definitely have uh had a uh, a lot of time uh in the fire departments and and uh getting to know firefighters uh, you know still keep in touch with uh some of them Today and, and, uh, you know, I'm linked in with a bunch of them, so it's good to see them moving up, you know, throughout their career. And, uh, Shanton is definitely, uh, you know, moving on up the chain and, um, uh, and, and, and has a lot of good things to say and shares. I, I think that's pretty neat. So it's nice to, to see folks, uh, have success, uh, you know, throughout their career. So I'll stop there and let you, uh, I won't um, monopolize sure. all the time. No, <laughs>
1: it's all good. It's all good. I was just I'm curious on you know initially stepping into the fire marshal role uh, I know that uh, obviously officer's very capable you know if if they're even going to the cl- course or even going to take command but I wonder how what's the feeling of taking over as a squadron commander and taking over as a fire marshal and having that responsibility knowing that that you're responsible for the emergency service on an installation you know that initial feeling like wow do I know kind of what I'm getting myself into just wonder what your take is on that.
0: Yeah. First for me, it was, I won't say it was terrifying, but, you know, pretty, pretty close. I just, uh, um, I had about a 10 year break from, you know, when I was a Lieutenant to when I actually took command, you know, getting back into a normal civil engineer squadron. Um, but I, I mean, the good thing was, is, you know, during that 10 years, I had some pretty phenomenal mentors, uh, and and so I, you know they're always talking through different issues and what ifs and you hear their stories and you know they're always pro- providing a little advice here or there and uh uh so surprisingly i i you know i was actually very well prepared i think the big thing um you know really when you go in is is to really go and and meet the folks that are part of your emergency team you know get into the uh the EOC and and uh you know, know who's in there and understand how that works and read through all the checklists and make sure you're comfortable with those. And then, um, you know, I spent a lot of time, uh, with chief twos, um, and, and trying to make sure I knew each and every one of them and talking to them and and building a relationship with them because, you know, ultimately, you know, a lot of times they were the ones I was talking to because chief one wasn't always around, um, And so, uh, you know, I wanted to know, the other thing too, is I wanted to know if cheap two was was capable. And, and there were a couple where, you know, I talked to, you know, chief one and, and I was like, all right, this person needs a little more training or we need to, you know, test this folk, uh, this person out. They need a little more confidence or, uh, more experience and, 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 and that sort of thing, you know, never fired one per se, but, uh, um, I think that that to me was, was very valuable because, you know, that's your leader out on scene and, and that's the probably the most critical leader, you know, on the installation at that time and, and making sure that, you know, they know what they're doing and they have uh, the confidence and the tool set to carry out what they're doing. And then I spent actually, uh, we created, I, I forget what exactly we called it, but we had kind of like a uh, a monthly coffee where we would bring in not just all the chief twos, but bring in the security force and the medical leads and, uh, emergency management and, and, you know, just kind of sit down and, you know, usually we would, we would walk through like one checklist or one kind of scenario and then just, you know, kind of BS a little bit, uh, amongst each other just to get to know each other a little bit. And, um, I thought that was very effective. So, I mean, folks knew who they were dealing with you know, the last time, or, or I guess probably the best way to say it is, is, you know, when you have an emergency, you know, that's not the time to, you know, build a relationship. You want that relationship, you know, in advance, you, you know, when that person walks up, you know, you should know their name and, and what they're capable of. And, and, uh, it shouldn't be the first time you're, you know, you're working together. So, uh, that, that's kind of what I was, was shooting at. And it, you know, it's banged on. We had a a 10 crash. And I mean, it was because we had done all those things and, and this crash had happened, I don't know, about 10 miles or so away from the base. Um, you know, on, on top of that, you know, we had also spent a lot of time building, uh, partnerships, uh, you know, with the communities and, uh, you know, the response was, you know, almost flawless, uh, just getting out there, controlling the scene, uh, putting the fires out, you know, recovering the, the aircraft. I mean, it was, it was pretty eye watering to see how everyone, uh, worked together. So I was, I was pretty, uh, uh, excited about, you know, that experience and, you know, it's it's pretty traumatic. You know, when a plane does go down, and you know, fortunately in this case, the pilot was was fine. Uh, no one uh, passed away or anything. And and uh, uh, yeah, the you know the wing commander. I, I actually, I just saw him a couple of weeks ago, uh, General Wegaman and you know, it was uh, you know we were kind of reminiscing and uh, about the good old days at Spangdalem, and and you know, he'd mentioned you know, that incident and, you know, just how as a team, um, you know, we just work so well together and it wasn't just the civil engineer team. It was, you know, the entire installation. And so I, I think that, you know, that's one thing that firefighters, you know, do is bring a lot of folks together and, and, and hopefully they're doing it before the, uh, um, incident. And usually if they're trying to do it after an incident, things aren't going to go well. And, and that's where you, you know, you find the write-ups or, yeah, people get hurt or, you know, maybe even worse get, um, get killed, but it's, it's, um, but when it does go well, it's pretty uh, awesome to see.
1: That's a good idea. Getting everybody together kind of on a monthly basis to at least make face. I mean, maybe even just get to know each other personally, not necessarily talk work or anything. Uh, Building relationships before you have to work on scene together is definitely a good idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And it's surprising. Like Spang not a Huge base is a small base, but still like five thousand some folks in the wing, and and depending on shifts, you know, you never know how those are going to line up. But um, I think it was about three or four months is what it took for all the cheap twos to actually get to know all the, you know, the other leads. That was something that I did was, you know, purposely or strategically, like, all right, who are all the folks that lead out on on scene, and wrote their names down and you know, just kind of, you know, did a little, uh, whatever, backroom, uh, uh calculus where I'm, you know, paying attention to see how those, those ups happen. And, um, you know, it, you know, and on top of just, you know, when you do normal exercises and, and that sort of thing, but, um, what's funny though is, is a lot of the, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of, you know, security forces exercises or fire exercises or medical exercises and, and, you know, in most cases, the only time they exercised together was, you know, either in a real incident or, you know, with with a wing exercise. And um, we were able to kind of force, I, I think it was a weekly, we did some sort of joint exercise that we, uh, we created. And it doesn't have to be anything big. It'd be, heck, just ring the bell and meet up somewhere and just see how long it takes everyone to get there. Um, which, you know, especially if it's on a flight line, it sometimes... Uh, you know the firefighters most of them have uh uh flight line drivers license and know how to get around the airfield but you know sometimes the security forces and and, ex- and especially with your medical folks uh you never know uh you <laughs> know how long that that might take uh you know you you, know, you would think you know hey all your ambulance drivers have flight line drivers license but that's that's not the case unless you ask and make sure
1: yeah not all the time are they going to drive out to the the runway so it's not too often they do that Sir, uh, I got a, There was a couple more questions under one, but if it's OK with you, we'll move on to number two here. Yep. Most Air Force firefighters will clearly know or at least understand, you know, that you play a very large role, not only in the civil engineer community, but also in fire protection. However, I don't think most n- will know exactly what that role is. So I'm wondering if you can explain what your role is um, in Air Force fire protection and you know how we fit into the big picture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh- you know, so sitting in the Pentagon, the main reason for the Pentagon is to, you know, fight for, uh, resources, uh, you know, for our airmen and, uh, you know, in order to fight for resources, you know, you need to kind of lay out different, you know, policies and strategies and have plans, um, uh, you know, that you can actually, uh, uh, you know, argue for or, or, or build upon and, you know, those, um, uh, that policy or those strategies usually come in the forms of AFIs or, uh, you know, different things like that, implementing uh, implementation guidance. Um, So that's the AFI is probably the, uh, you know, sort of the first thing that firefighters will see that, that we kind of, you know, build or or do for them. But, uh, you know, you just look at any tool that you have in your hand there and, and, you know, one way or another, you know, we're fighting for that up in the the Pentagon for you. And it's, you know, I usually, I, what I like to always do is, is I, I kind of like to start, you know, sort of big picture, you know, for, um, uh, folks. And so they can kind of better understand, you know, from a, a, uh, uh, you know, from a government perspective, like, you know, what, what all are, are, are we doing or how do we, um, uh, you know, get these tools or this, this equipment and, you know, obviously, you know, you have the the president and a Congress and, you know, there's, well, there's two bodies in Congress, the House and the Senate. So 535 total members, 100 senators, 435 reps. And, you know, the, you know, the annual budget for the federal government is typically around $4 trillion. And, uh, this year's kind of an anomaly with all the uh, COVID stuff. You could, I think the budget's almost not quite double that, but, you know, pretty close, but, uh, typical budgets around $4 trillion of which 1 trillion of that is, it's kind of flexible uh, money, money that you spend sort of on the day to day government. The other 3 trillion is all your social security, Medicare, uh, you know, those types of things that, you know, the government doesn't have a lot of flexibility. And then out of that 1 trillion, about 750 billion is spent on defense, um, and then out of that seven hundred and fifty billion, a hundred and seventy billion of that, you know, goes to the um, uh, the Air Force. And so a lot of folks will see, you know, actually, well, hey, it says the Air Force budget's like two hundred five, two hundred five billion, but about thirty five billion of that is just pass through money that goes to other organizations that the Air Force doesn't actually get to touch. And then, you know, out of that hundred and seventy billion, fifteen billion goes over to Space Force now. And then, uh, you know, and then that, that budget is, is broken down into mainly three major categories, you know, your operations and maintenance, and that's most of your day to day, uh, you know, paying for fuel or equipment or tools, uh, a third of it's uh, personnel. So paying military pay and that sort of thing. And then a third of it's, you know, R and D and acquisition. So, you know, new weapon systems, uh, fire trucks, you know, things like that. And then, uh. You know, there's a, a, you know, one I pay attention to, the Milcon, which is a small sliver of that. I think it's about, um, on average, a billion to three billion a year, depending on the year. But that's that's all our construction money. And then out of that, you know, O&M budget, you know, we're talking in the area of anywhere from um, eight to ten billion dollars that, you know, that we're playing with, uh, with O&M. And so, yeah, it's kind of a... Uh, you know, when you hear those numbers, they're huge numbers, and and uh, you know, but that's that's what we're doing up here at the Pentagon is fighting for those things, just so that a firefighter can be wearing a uh, you know the proper suit or have the the wrench in their hand and or that sort of thing. And I don't know, I I, I try to downplay my job or the the importance, but it's um, I, you know, just like a month ago, I had a a meeting with some congressional staffers, and we were arguing over um you know how much you know money we should have for a, a certain program and and we had asked for i, I don't know something like you know 300 million dollars for the year and and uh three of the committees had marked us about 125 million and and this one was going to mark us around 150 million and you know i had to make you know make my case of you know why we needed this money and the problems that we were having and 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 that sort of thing and and um uh, you know when the legislation came out you know last week you know, they actually, you know, marked it well over a hundred million more than the other committees. And that wouldn't have happened unless we had that conversation or that discussion with them. And, and so when you look back, you're like, man, that's, that's a pretty big stuff. I just, you know, I uh, gave the Air Force an opportunity for another hundred million dollars, you know, for it happened so quick uh, too. Yeah. And you're just like, um, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you just, you don't realize, um, you know, the, you know, what you're doing, but it's, it's, uh, yeah. So anyway, it's, that's, that's kind of the life here, you know, sort of in the five sided puzzle palaces we like to call it the Pentagon. Um, and it's a, you know, just a much different atmosphere than, you know, what you see, um, at an installation, but that's, that's kind of the stuff that, that we're fighting for. And I challenge, what I challenge folks, you know, I kind of laid out the big numbers, you know, for people and, and, uh, uh, you know, how, how that, that budget works but you know figure out you know draw that line i challenge you draw that line from the installation up to the pentagon and you know kind of understand you know how the money flows or how things work and and even that's quite complex you know we have uh you know all the different major commands you know you have the uh, intermediate commands of uh air force imsc and and uh so money flows you know that way too and and uh so it's it's um pretty complex. But the one thing I will say is, is, uh, you know, the firefighters are, are well represented, uh, in those facilities. I mean, one, every squadron commander who has a fire station has gone to the fire marshal's school and has spent time with their firefighters and, and, and we have a, uh, a special bond with them and, and feel obligated to, to, uh, fight hard for the, the firefighters up at the uh, the, the air staff. So, uh, you know, while there are no officers, you know, in the fire service, uh, technically I I will tell you, you're very well represented.
1: Yeah, we appreciate that for sure. And, um, it, it, it's kind of interesting to hear, you know, how, how the conversation goes with money and, you know, how, how many, you know, millions or billions of dollars you're talking about at a conference table, like, Oh, how about we get 20 more? You know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to hear that, but I guess beyond money, uh, and, and budgeting, for the career field for civil engineering and even for the air force. Do you, do you have any kind of connection with the career field? Do you get you know notifications of large events or anything like that?
0: Uh, I'm not as connected as closely as I would like to be. I, uh, uh, well, one, obviously COVID has, um, limited, you know, my connections and I, I try to find other ways to, to connect, but it, it was kind of funny. I was talking to one of my predecessors and, um, uh, you know, they used to joke that, uh, you know, they'd be on the road anywhere from, you know, two, three or four weeks a month, which is a lot out visiting airmen and, and and seeing bases and, and their main reason for, you know, obviously the main reason for being out on the, the road was to, to be with the airmen. But, you know, let's be honest, they're just trying to get out of the Pentagon and, and, uh, you know, live the good life. And, uh, uh, and, and a lot of them would joke like, you know, that was the most meaningful part of their job. And, and here I am in this COVID environment and, and really the only, uh, travel I've, I've tried to minimize it as much as possible, you know, went to uh, a memorial service and I've been going to, uh, the officer graduations down at, uh, for, for AFIT for civil engineers and, and that's it. And, uh, you know, pretty much have. You know, tighten it up because of uh, you know. Don't really want to put folks at risk. Uh, you know, myself or uh, well, really, I'm more worried about other folks. But yeah, that's that's uh, a little bit of a uh, a challenge. You don't have that connection. So some of the things that I'm doing to you know try to stay connected, I do uh, uh, talk to squadron commanders. I Usually anywhere from I don't know, two to five commanders a week. I'll spend about a half hour to 45 minutes, just you know. Chatting with them, hearing what their issues are, their, you know, what what they're um, concerned about, so that you know, uh, that one-on-one time is is very valuable to me. I see all the major op reps uh, that that come up. So you know, in the fire world, uh, you know, the ones that I, I notice the most are, you know, obviously if a fire happens, and a lot of them it, it tends to be has something to do with an electrical system and some very important Air Force mission, whether it be, you know, a command center or, you know, RPA or something along those lines. And, uh, you know, firefighters go in, save the day and, and, uh, you know, stop the fire. But it just kind of highlights, usually what we find out is, is, uh, you know, either it's, you know, really old equipment or the facility is really old or the detection system didn't work properly. Just, you know, just different things like that. So that's, you know, one thing that I, I kind of see and, and, and obviously the other one, I see, uh, all the, um, uh, PFAS, uh, releases and that to me, if, uh, it, it is, uh, uh, how would you say it? It, it, it's like the new asbestos or, or lead. It's very, very political. Uh, folks are very, very interested on that. And so one thing I asked for, you know, firefighters, if, uh, you know, hey, be very careful if uh you know you're using those systems. Make sure if uh you know you are using foam that you know, kid, not have a, a fire that you're uh, uh, putting out, or uh or if you're doing maintenance or something around that, make sure that you know if that foam happens to get out, that it it's it's contained and not going into storm drains or or that sort of thing. And and um, you know, all the tech services folks, you know, they can't emphasize enough how important it is to you know do all the inspections and make sure you know systems are properly maintained and 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 more importantly people are trained and know how to uh use systems uh or at least make sure they know to you know report something when they they see something wrong and um like to me I I uh I really tried to spend you know when I was down at the installation really tried to spend a lot of time with the the tech services folks because they were kind of my eyes and ears around the installation and um, I, I never, ever in my mind had a uh, an idea that it would, you know, hey, we'd be perfect and, and have everything, you know, fire safe. But I definitely knew where my risk was and knew what the challenges that we had and was able to inform my leadership, you know, about that and, and then ensure that the Air Force had those requirements uh, in the system to, to get funded and, and, and handled. So I think, uh, yeah, so that's, those are kind of the main ways that I, uh, keep in touch or, or, or do see the, uh, the handiwork of, of, uh, firefighters. So it's, it's, uh, um, it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, you know, when, when firefighters do their jobs well and, and get on scene, you know, I think it was, um, uh, well, based at, uh, Afghanistan, you see a C-130 with no nose gear on the, uh, um uh, the runway, but you know, what's around the, area where the nose gear should be, all that firefighting foam, which, you know, that that was pretty uh, amazing airmanship for that uh, pilot to get that C-17 down, but I know that Air Force firefighters were there making sure that, um, you know, everything, everyone got off that plane safely and, and, and things were handled, and then, you know, then you, you know, hear other incidents where, you know, it took responders, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes to you know, get to a, an incident and you just kind of scratch your head, like what the heck happened? You know, come on folks, we can do better than that. So, uh, uh, challenge y'all to, you know, think out of the box and, and try and understand what you what's going on at your installations and get out and meet folks and learn missions and, and, and know where the risks are and train to those things. Uh, that, that's, uh, pretty
1: powerful. Yes, sir. Yeah. And on the, uh, on that response time thing, the, uh, know we got some big installations out there and a lot of times we're geographically separated with the fire stations and you know one section of the installation may not see action for a while so it's easy to get complacent so that's solid advice you know just (laughs) train on your area train on the risk of your base and uh try not to try to avoid complacency but um so talking on the listed core a little bit uh you know Obviously, the enlisted Corps makes up a large portion of the Air Force, uh, and in fact you know Air Force FES, as you mentioned, is exclusively enlisted or civilian, and much many of the civilians were prior enlisted so I'm wondering if you can you know describe the value placed on enlisted Corps. you know how important are we in accomplishing some of the higher level initiatives or just the mission in general?
0: Well, you know the Air Force mission doesn't get done without the enlisted force. <laughs> they're the folks that that do most of the uh, the Mission, other than uh, you know, probably the pilots. So it's uh, uh, you know pretty powerful to to see what they can do, and and it's it's amazing to see how much an airman has transformed from when I came in to you know what what we have now. I think they're so much more capable and better trained and better equipment. So it's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, across civil engineering, you know, we have I think we're up to like fifty three thousand folks in the civil engineer enterprise you know, officers enlisted and, and civilians and, you know, civilians are a, a good majority of, of that. And I know for, uh, you know, out of the military, I think we're somewhere in the, you know, about 330,000 uh, folks military in the Air Force and, and 80% of that is is uh, is enlisted. So, I mean, it's it's a, a good majority of that. And, and so I, what I think is pretty neat with the firefighters and probably a little bit you know different uh some of the career fields it's i mean it's really neat to see how you kind of grow up uh in your career field and all the different training uh that you had i just signed uh, uh the firefighter training plan just uh earlier this week the new one uh that you guys will get to see here and um yeah, it is. It's amazing how we we take someone off the street, you know, bring them in, give them the basic skills, and then they go out to the fire department for a bit. They learn on the job, and then we send it back to the schoolhouse. You know, they pick up some some more skills, and we send it back to the, the the firehouse, give them a new job, more responsibilities, and we send them back to the schoolhouse, and they get some more skills, and then back into the fire station, new job, get uh you know different training, whether it's. Uh, you know online or, or or somewhere else and and what's really neat is is you know you have that fire badge and it has all those different bugles on there and and those bugles mean something and 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 you know it's it's uh um, yes you have the uh you know enlisted uh, uh, rank structure you know from airman basic up through chief uh, but you know I think those bugles on your badge are are pretty powerful and 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 how folks uh, perform in those positions, it's definitely, uh, you know, kind of neat to see, uh, uh, what they're doing and, and, and how, how you take care of yourselves and, and make yourselves better. So, uh, you know, I think that's, that's, uh, I think what makes firefighters special. The other thing that, you know, that's pretty, uh, neat is just if you think about it, the amount of time you folks spend with each other, you know, you're usually on shift for, uh, uh, a whole day and, and uh, so you get to know each other very well you know both personally and professionally um, and so you do get to uh, learn a lot more about folks and so there there typically is a closer bond uh, you know you look at a you know fire protection flight and it's it's uh, um, um, you know a lot uh, a lot tighter knit than what you would see in like a vehicle ops um, uh, you know, so that's, I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. We're very much like a family. I mean, we're with each other it, the same amount of time we are with our family. So, it, you know, we kind of develop pretty strong bonds. Um, you said something, you said, you said airmen are a little better now, maybe than they, they were, or their airmen are better trained now. Um, you know, what specifically have you seen, uh, you be, being in since 95, what have you seen, I guess, in your time to kind of see that progress, see the training for airmen get better?
0: Well, one, we expect more out of them. I mean, I think, you know, back in 1995, you know, we kind of expected airmen to show up and, and you know, they had very specific jobs. And, and, and you know, now I think we, you know, expect them to do a heck of a lot more and, and expect them to be more prepared and care for themselves more. Uh, I think airmen are, you know, a lot smarter and just, and and I think a lot of it has to do is, is they're just better connected with the world and have more access to information. Now, you know, obviously that can be bad in some cases, you know, if you're, you know, looking at the wrong website or, you know, um, you know, just spend your time playing video games, uh, you know, maybe not so much, but, uh, um, the the good airmen, I I mean, yeah, they're definitely head and shoulders better than, um, you know, when I came in and, and, uh, yeah, that what I would say is, is for leaders, you know, you need to harness that and accept, you know, kind of the, uh, skills that they have and, and what they bring to the fight and, and, you know, utilize that and, and take advantage of it, get the most out of it. And, and then, you know, there are areas where, you know, I'll say the newer generation, you know, one could argue, you know, maybe they weren't as resilient or, uh, uh, you know, they have other, you know, personality skills that, you know, we needed to, to develop uh, a little bit more, uh, than maybe in the past. Uh, just, I think in the past folks were more socialized cause you didn't have, um, you know, all the electronics, um, you know, with you, but, uh, uh, I don't know, to me, those are, uh. You know, things that, uh, you know, I think leaders need to be aware of that. And then, you know, ultimately, if, if you have, uh, um, you know, I expect leaders to be positive and, and they need to inspire their airmen and their airmen need to trust them. And, and if you have that, it's it's pretty amazing what, what they can get done when you don't have that. You know, you don't inspire them. You're negative and your airmen don't trust you. It's it's pretty toxic. And yeah, you can blame the generational gaps, but, uh, you know, what I would tell that leader to do is go look in the mirror and there's the problem, my friend.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, there's definitely differences in, in my short time and I've seen them too. It's, it's all about leveraging what they are good at and yeah, developing what they're not so good at. Um, and I think I'm probably in that generation that, um, you know, missed out on some socializing, you know, I, I was connected to social media pretty early in my, in my life you know sometime after high school so i can i can identify with it and empathize with them a little bit uh, but uh, d- we we tend to focus on the things that might be wrong with them instead of trying to leverage what's good about them mm-hmm. and i have to say just within the past 5 years i would say that uh, they're pretty overall they're pretty capable pretty smart human beings really and it's yeah they they have their quirks and maybe they don't socialize like we used to back in the day, but they certainly can bring a lot to the to the table so mm-hmm. um, so talking a little bit about initiatives in the works, you know I, I'm sure that you see a bunch of stuff come across your desk all the time, and uh, taskers initiatives, kind of big picture stuff. I'm wondering, you know of all of that what what's out there on the horizon that would impact fire and emergency services in the air force?
0: Well, I could tell you um, uh, from my perspective. You know, Congress is very interested in the fire emergency service. And, you know, we I don't know if it's yearly or twice a year. You know, we send a report on status of our all of our uh, equipment and fire systems and, and in particular, you know, fire trucks and, and uh, uh, you know, the quote unquote battle rattle, the you know, all the breathing apparatus and, and, and those sorts of things that you have. And, and so they do pay uh, a lot of attention to that. Uh, you know i think uh you know as far as the the battle rattle and and that sort of stuff you know we have a pretty good program of um you know taking care of that and uh, and i know um we have a lot of different uh uh things kind of coming down the pipe just to make sure that you know equipment is is updated and and you know you're getting stuff before it expires and and that sort of thing so uh but on the vehicle front that's one thing where you know i have to do a better job fighting for it you know, but the Air Force, it's, we are taking risk uh, in there. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing how old some of these trucks are. But, you know, that being said, I mean, those trucks are supposed to operate and last for, for quite some time. But I will say in some cases, there are some trucks that, uh, you know, I I know we had, it seems like every, every installation has one that spends more time in the shop than in the fire station. So, you know, those are the ones that we need to try and get rid of and bring, bring new stuff into the, into the fight. But I'd be actually, uh, curious and I don't know, uh, you know, maybe through your podcast, you know, hear from firefighters of, you know, what they think they need and, you know, Hey, are we getting the stuff that, um, that they'd need And and if there's, um, you know, something else that they would rather see, um, you know, so maybe you guys can, dedicate a show or whatever, you know, bring in some feedback and, and, and fire it to me and, and we'll see if we're kind of on target or, or if we need to make some adjustments. Like to think, uh, in general, I think the, we have a pretty good pulse of, you know, how stuff is, is getting worked out there, but I'm always, uh, uh willing to receive feedback and, and hear what, what folks have to say.
1: That's great. Yeah. We have a working group for equipment specifically. There's a lot of working groups out there, but chief Morris, chief Wagner, developed a working group for that specific reason, which I'm sure you've, uh, you've heard of. I'm wondering if you have any hand in emergency medical service. We, uh, it's a kind of a, it's a, it's a big topic for us in, in fire protection. You know, we're always talking about it. We're wondering what's on the horizon. I know that uh, there's no real definitive answer, but you know, how often does that, that topic come across your desk or in a conversation?
0: Well, I can tell you it, it's, Fired me up as a squadron commander, and, and I will tell you, like, it got me so mad that I literally I called General Byers at the time, and I was like, "You got to do something different," because I was just, honestly, I was sick of it at Aldafra. You know, I I just remember the uh, medical group commander in a staff meeting, just without even telling uh, us, just you know, just said, "Hey, yeah, the firefighters fighters are going to handle all the nighttime uh, medical issues, and and they're going to dispatch our uh, ambulances and." and uh didn't even coordinate or say anything that was like the first time I had heard it. She just you know flat out said it, and I was just like, "Wow, uh that obviously didn't happen but uh uh you know, it was kind of interesting to see you know how that you know mission was sort of getting pushed and then when I went to Spangdalem and it was you know it was uh the you know we had the ambulance for the ambulance was for the flight line and you know, if they weren't flying, they didn't want to operate the ambulance. But what was interesting is, is all the calls for ambulance usually happen when there was no flying, you know, because folks were out on the uh, the base. And uh, uh, so that was uh, challenging to, to work through. But the one thing I thought was really cool, though, is there's a lot of capability off base. And in Germany, I don't know if you're familiar, they, I think it was ADAC or something like that. They literally had this like little helicopter that they could fly wherever and, you know they could be there pretty quick if the uh, incident's pretty serious. And you know, that to me is pretty powerful. And then I, uh, you know, in the UK, uh, holy cow. Like, um, I don't know. I just remember that video. I think it, uh, was, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember the, the name of the, the rapper, uh, uh, gosh, he, he's the one that wears the clocks around his neck. Um, and, and the song was like nine one one as a joke. And you, you know, see the, you know, person, laying in the street, freezing. And, and, uh, in the UK, the ambulance service there was really challenged. And, and I mean, we had someone, uh, you know, had a heart attack and you call and, and they'd be like, well, we can have an ambulance there in about two, maybe three hours. And, you know, you're just like, all right, well, I guess we're driving this person into the hospital. And, uh, so it was a very, uh, uh, challenging, uh, you know, problem set. So what, what i i guess over time what i have learned is is you know there's a lot of you know depends where you're at the locality and the capabilities that you have and and that should play a role in uh you know how you make that decision and and you have to be careful at the air force level to make a you know one size fits all policy because it's you know what you have at tyndall you know might not necessarily make sense at you know whatever ref alkenberry um and so, uh, you know, while I had a lot of passion and and heat, I will say, you know, fortunately, uh, you know, senior leaders prevailed and, and kind of kept me a little bit tempered there and, and, you know, make sure that, you know, cooler minds prevailed. Uh, but it's uh, I think, you know, we do have some initiatives uh, going on and it's something I'll be honest, since I've been in the seat here, I haven't had a whole lot of time to uh, to dive in on that. But it's. Uh, uh, i know there are um, we are looking at you know seeing hey should the ambulance mission be in fire emergency services uh flight i think in an ideal world if if we were properly resourced and and had all the the money that we needed, you know that might make the the most sense um but once again it it also kind of you know the medics uh you know they have they have a i give them a lot of credit they uh, they know this their statistics and they know. Um, you know, what folks uh, need to do. And, and I think the most important thing is, is making sure folks at, you know, not just firefighters, but everyone, you know, has the basic self-aid buddy care and, and and those sorts of things to make sure they're trained. And that actually is probably the most important thing. You know, when that person, you know, if a victim falls down, you know, when someone can you know jump onto the situation right away, that, that, is, that is critical. And then, Usually, you know, within six to eight minutes, depending where, uh, you know, what's going on, then that firefighter is pulling in there with that next level of, of, of care and, and, you know, really taking care of business. And, uh, you know, the ambulance, you know, depending where you're on, or where you're at, you know, we'll see how, you know, quickly that uh, that comes. But the, we're looking through that and, and trying to figure out what's the, uh, the right thing and, and what we can sustain. I mean, to me, the most important thing you know, if, if we are going to, you know, move to this sort of thing, we need to be able to sustain the training. We need to be able to, you know, make sure that, um, uh, uh, you know, what we're doing is, uh uh, makes sense for, for what's going on. So apologize. I don't have a, uh, you know, perfect answer for that, but, uh, obviously you tell I'm quite passionate about it. And, uh, definitely, uh, uh that is one of the things I'm going to try and make sure I get my hands on and, and, and it will, I promise you it will be better, uh, than when I first got here. Um, it's, it's, you know, I've, I've seen it throughout my career quite a bit and it's, it's, uh, probably one of the most important things that, um, you know, that we need to make sure we get right in the Air Force.
1: Yeah. You make a great point. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on it. Um, it, and, uh, you make a great point that right looks different at different places. So 182 fire departments, across the air force enterprise and, you know, maybe double, triple that for the department of defense. So it's, it's a much more complicated issue. You know, a lot of people might ask, you know, why do we not look the same as our municipal counterparts where they're running ambulance out of the fire stations? It's like, wait, this is a 182 department enterprise. You know, you can't, you can't just say all the ambulances are going to go park in the fire stations. Cause now you're talking about you know, getting trucks and and getting even manpower in different positions. And then, of course, you mentioned the training and all the money that's associated with that. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think a lot of us or most of us understand it's a pretty complicated issue. And uh,
0: yeah, what's interesting, too, you know, and, and it was something that my eyes were opened up about it at Joint Base Andrews. I went over to the Prince George's Emergency Call Center and it was this special building. I think it was Motorola. One of those high tech companies built it. It was you know it's supposed to be sort of a uh, a model for what they could do for for other places and what was amazing to me they got more calls in a half a day than we got in an entire year let me say that again they got more calls in a half a day than we got in an entire year and and so that just tells you the uh, magnitude of like you know what some of these municipalities um uh you know, deal with. And and it was kind of funny I uh you know that I go on to the UK and the, you know the British and they had their challenges with the the ambulance services and we're you know we're looking uh it at, at ways to improve the ambulance service and, and time and uh you know we'd have like you know one heart attack I don't know in six months or something and, and so you're thinking all right is it worth you know spending two million dollars over that period to have uh you know, a crew of three or four people in a, you know, an ambulance there. Well, obviously to the person, the victim and that family, yeah, it's worth every penny. Uh, but you know, you can't do that necessarily. Uh, you have to be a little bit smarter, uh, on those things. And so I definitely, uh, you know, I have learned, uh, I guess through my career and with a lot of my passion, uh, you know, I've, as a leader, I have made mistakes and I've, owned up to them. And, and, uh, you know, if, if I haven't gotten something right, I admit it and, and, uh, you know, do my best to, you know, kind of figure out or dive into that problem again. And, and I think it's important that we work with the medics and, um, and, uh, you know, try and figure out that solution. It should never, ever be in an us and them. And I know younger and earlier part of my career and, um, you know, I, uh, uh probably it was a little more adversarial, um, uh, just, you know, my, I probably a little too much passion and, and, uh, fortunately I had some, some good leaders like, you know, Hey, they all have us air force on their uniform too. And we need to not forget that. And, and, uh, you know, we're all, we need to work together and with each other. We have some pretty big, bad enemies, uh, that we need to focus our attention on them and, and not fighting amongst ourselves on, you know, things like this. So, um, Anyway,
1: right. Yeah, if we're focusing our time and energy on that, uh, you know, things are probably relatively good, you know, um, when compared to history, anyways. Um, and the the medical providers in the Air Force, they're not incapable, right? Uh, they're, there's some pretty sharp folks out there and pretty sharp paramedics that I've personally ran into throughout my career. Uh, the big argument with the firefighters is that, you know, we, uh, we are in the business of emergency service. And uh, a lot of those medical professionals are kind of in the business of clinical practice and um and so you know putting putting the the emergency medical service into the emergency flight or the emergency response flight it it seems to make sense, or you know uh logically it makes sense, but uh, again, right can look different at different places, so I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on the e m s uh, you know pretty pretty big talk, pretty big topic, and real close to our hearts and fire protection. Um, transition in a little bit. So, you know, it's easy to get overwhelmed, you know, as a firefighter, as an airman, a uh, civilian within the fire service, when thinking about everything that's going on all the time within the Air Force, CE, even the fire emergency services um, as a whole. So, what can we do, I guess, kind of at the floor level, at the firefighter level to help move the needle a bit? You know, what are expectations for a firefighter and uh, where and how should we be focusing our time and energy?
0: Yeah, if you look at it, you know, sort of for uh, you know, an individual, uh, perspective, this is something, you know, I've always kind of said when I was a, a leader, you know, just look at your, uh, your name tape there and it says, you know, you period S period air force. And, and you look down that and, and, you know, I would always say first look at that, you make sure you're taking care of yourself. You know, are you taking care of yourself physically, keep it in shape, having a good diet, you know, um, Are you getting to, uh, taking care of, uh, your, your mind, uh, getting to, you know, learning, uh, new things, learning stuff on the job. You know, I, I, uh, I read at least one professional book a month. Uh, I read all sorts of uh, newspapers and, and magazines, but, uh, uh, I try to take at least, you know, one course a year, um, you know, to, to, to better myself. But, you know, what are you doing to, you know, expand your your mind. You know, what are you doing to uh, improve your spirituality? And you know, are you, you know, you need to feel like you belong to something bigger uh, than just yourself or your family? And I think that that's uh, you know pretty powerful. Whether you do that in a church or you know find other means, uh, that's that's critical. And and how are you improving yourself socially? You know, do you have a good friend network, a family network? Those those things are good. And and uh, uh, yeah, a lot of folks, if you look through those, I mean, those are the four resiliency pillars that we have, but, you know, you need to take time every uh, week, make sure you're kind of checking those things off, making sure you're, you're right. And then you look back down at your name tape and you look at that you and that S, that us, you know, and, and I look at us as the team that you're on. So most firefighters, it's your flight, your fire emergency service flight. You know, are you the first one in the last one out? Are you, uh, you know, taking care of business? Are you are you having a positive impact on your team? Does your uh, boss know where you're at, what you're doing? Uh, are you a good example, you know, for your other airmen? Uh, you know, when you walk outside of that fire station, are you uh, are you representing uh, firefighters well? You know, you wear that badge, you stick out. Um, you know, that to me, uh, that's pretty powerful, and and you know, you can you can uh, really improve the image of firefighters, or you can give a you know create a pretty uh pretty bad one so um you know what else are you know uh you know are you the the type of airman that other airmen like to come to to help solve problems or 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 are you the airman that uh you know other airmen want on their team and those things are pretty pretty strong then you look down at that name tag again and you see usa and uh uh you know, I, I think it's pretty awesome. You know, we all wear a uniform. Even if you're a civilian firefighter, you still have a uniform, you have a badge on. You have that American flag most likely on your your uniform. You know the military, it's uh pretty powerful of you know what it takes to just get in the military. Most most Americans can't even be a part of it, whether it's you know, physical reasons or, or their age or whatnot. Or they don't have the uh uh the desire or the willpower um, you know, to get in. But Remember why you're in the military. You know we we all take an oath. We take an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. It's not to a person. It's not to a king. It's not to anyone else. And and I think it's it's important that we uh, take the time uh, and and uh, celebrate that. And you know, when you have a promotion or some sort of ceremony, make sure there's a flag there. Make sure you actually do the oath. You know, maybe every now and then get dressed up in your blues and you know highlight what's you know those those events make sure they're kind of special know what you're supposed to do when you're around a flag. If a flag is being walked by, you you know, are you supposed to salute it or not? You know, what if you're in uniform or not? Uh, you know, no, to me, I think those are you know, pretty important things. And then the last thing, you know, just look at that name tape and says U S air force. And, uh, you know, never forget, you know, what an awesome team that you're on and the core values, integrity, service, excellence, and, you uh, uh you know, those things, I think, uh, you know, the integrity piece I think is, 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 is pretty obvious. It's, it's especially important in the fire service when, you know, decisions you make could impact someone's life of how you, uh, uh, uh handle a situation, uh, you know, the service service before self. I mean, you guys are out there, um, you're probably on a base or, or at work more than most of your fellow airmen. And, you definitely sacrifice uh, a whole heck of a lot. Know that that is valued um, and inspire each other because of that service. Lift each other up as opposed to, you know, trying to knock each other down. You got high standards to be a firefighter. You know, you don't have to beat each other up if, uh, you know, you aren't meeting a standard. You know, lift each other up to get get above that standard. And I think that's, that's pretty powerful. And then excellence in all we do. A lot of folks struggle with that one. Um, especially when we're in a resource constrained environment, you know, we are doing a great job with what we got and we are doing a a, a great job because we're prioritizing things and making sure we're hitting the important things uh, first. And, and uh, uh can't, crit- uh, you know, uh, emphasize that enough that, you know, pay attention to, you know, what's truly important. And when you're working on something, you know, do the best you can. And, and and that's what we ask. So I, I think if you kind of you know just keep looking down at that name tag, the U, US, USA, U.S. Air Force, uh, you can't go wrong with that. So uh, unfortunately, my time has come. If there's more questions or uh, uh, whatnot, if if we want to do this again, would love to. You know, maybe in a couple months we can link up. If if folks have uh, uh, other questions, you can you know, and and I don't mind talking, uh, you know, more hard stuff or more controversial types of things. If, uh, that's what the fire dogs want to hear. No,
1: that's all good, sir. It, if you have any final thoughts, you could share them with us. Is there any, you know, parting thoughts that you'd like to share? If you haven't shared already, you don't have to say anything if you don't want.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'll just final thoughts. Uh, just thank you. Appreciate what you all do. Uh, you guys inspire me here. The reason I'm still in the air force is because the airmen like you, I, uh, I could make a heck of a lot more money, uh, doing what I do somewhere else. I've, you know, had multiple, uh, job offers to leave, but man, it's just, uh, I stay in just cause it's one, it's a lot of fun, but two, it's, uh, it just inspires me to be a better person. And it's just, you know, it's just, uh, awesome to be amongst just great Americans and, and just, it's builds a fire inside of you, no pun intended, but, uh, you know, it just keeps you going. And, and, uh, you know, you just, you're always striving to do better and, and, uh, you know, improve upon yourself. So I I think it's, uh, uh, thank you very much. Uh, that's all I have.
1: General K, it was a pleasure uh, having you on. I, I really appreciate, you know, you accepting the, uh, the invitation to come on and, uh, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and words of wisdom for us. All right. You have a great day out here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the fire dog podcast. You can find more content and episodes just like this regularly posted to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash the fire dog podcast. And on our Instagram page at the fire dog podcast, that is the fire D a W G podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and follow to stay plugged into every new episode. You give us a five star review on Apple the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, lastly, we'd love it. If you'd share this podcast with your friends and coworkers, either on social media or right there at the firehouse. This is Matt Wilson and guest Brigadier General William Kale. Until next time, stay safe.